0: Listening to petliferadio.com.
1: Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. It's your host Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Um, my guest today is former reporter for the USA Today and San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, she's also the news editor and feature writer for Dogster.com, and she's the author of three dog-related books, including her new book, Soldier Dogs. The Untold Story of America's Canine Heroes. Welcome aboard, Maria Goodovich. Thank Maria. you very
2: much for having me,
1: too. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. We've got a lot of things to go into here, and I uh, want to start off, first of all, talk to you a little bit about the book Soldier Dogs and how that came about.
2: Okay, well... I was actually raised in a house where I heard a lot about military dogs. My dad always prided himself on being the youngest person in World War II, which I don't think is really true. But he, he would tell me all about how military dogs were such a huge help. He wasn't a handler, but for the morale of the troops in World War II. And he said when whenever someone would have a really bad day, it would seem like the dog would know who was having a bad day and would go up to them and spend more time with them. And I, I grew up with that idea of these tough heroes also being able to be there for these guys and how that really affected me. And I, I became sort of a military war dog geek and have I bought some history books on them. And I just, you know, it was kind of going on for a while, that this passion of mine, sort of in the background. And, and I, I work, I'm, as you said, the news editor and a writer for Dogster.com. And whenever I would hear anything about a military dog-related story, I would blog on it. And we would get a lot of interest. And I realized, you know, people don't really realize what these dogs do, who they are, and maybe it's time that people do realize. And I was thinking it would be fun to do a book, but blah, 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 I'm so busy. And then the Bin Laden raid happened with Navy SILF last May, and it turned out, as of course, that the Belgian Malinois, Cairo, was part of the raid. And for a dog to be part of this major military attack on, on this terrorist was it really riveted the people. And me, I was just... Um, a, when I heard you know, about this and it's still a mystery what the dog did but the fact that a dog was involved it made people realize, wow there are dogs serving in the military and that's when I realized this is the time to do a book and um, actually it was good timing because an agent approached me and we, we had to get it going pretty quickly and, and turn it around pretty quickly so I was, I was living and breathing this uh, and getting two or three hours of night's sleep so I could, I could get this done and I, I just became really passionate about the topic and about these dogs and the handlers
1: that's amazing. Now, let me ask you from a writer's standpoint on that. Uh, you'd you had mentioned you had this passion, and, and obviously, uh, with your father learning more about it, did you have the structure of the book uh, already sort of uh, mapped out and placed and waiting for the right time? Or was this something no. that's like, oh my gosh, I got to get on this today because it's hot? Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, no, no I, I didn't at all. I was just, the books were here. And when the agent contacted me a week or two after the raid, I sent her a picture, actually, of my dog with my yellow lab, Jake, with all the books sort of surrounding him to show her, hey, I, I, this is amazing. I, I do have this background and this love. And uh, and so that's all I had, though. And, and it wasn't a super deep background. It was mostly on the history. And I wasn't even that well steeped in that. So I had a huge learning curve. And actually, just breaking into the military was a really big job because it was – I could talk to some of the handlers on my own. That wasn't a problem. But actually – getting through some of the official channels to to go to certain places and get permission was a lot of of unfurling of red tape and uh, I had to prove myself in a couple of cases. So uh, I'm really glad that I put the effort into it because it was pretty phenomenal. But no, there was no structure. I kind of let the book happen where I just did all this intensive research and the chips sort of fell where I saw them. This is where these things need to fall. And the book, I don't want to say it wrote itself by any means because it was a tremendous... Uh, amount of work but it really seemed to have a structure that came to be pretty easily once i had all the data
1: you know, being a writer and author myself it's always a struggle because you have all these i don't know about you but i have all these great ideas i even have titles from some books you know that that's like okay if it's the right and perfect time i'm going to do this and and i realized from a writing standpoint you probably should start writing some things putting some things down because you never know when that hot thing's going to hit and just so happens to be on your top 10 things you meant to write
2: Right exactly and and I would highly advise that and I would also highly advise To actually maybe even start writing a little bit to really get some, not just the structure, but maybe um, start putting some words on paper. And that way, when the time comes, you'll really be ready to go.
1: Absolutely. And that's where I know from uh, your work with Dogster.com, writing blogs, writing articles for either online publications or, or magazines. You know, if you write on a particular topic that you have a passion for or you have an interest in, next thing you know, you probably have two or three, maybe even more chapters already done because you've written about them in a blog or in an article.
2: It does help a lot to have that background. I I really, I knew what I was getting into a little bit more maybe than the average journalist when when I embarked on this. So I had some good background. But there is so much richness in this world of military dogs, that and, and it hadn't really been written about before. There are some really excellent books on military history, like Mike Lemish's, but, but there wasn't anything that the current, and even, even some articles didn't, um, didn't get into the, uh, all the new stuff that I was able to get, so it was really exciting being able to break this new ground on this really wonderful and intriguing topic that I always had a passion for, but now, even after all this work, I'm, I'm all the more passionate for, for these dogs and what they do
1: yeah absolutely and you know it's interesting about the book. I mean there are a lot of detailed information here, and it really takes on the uh a life of not only the military dogs themselves but how how it got started and what happens with the the animals how do they get trained these type of things. I know your um experience being a a reporter having a reporting background, I imagine that helped you out quite a bit in getting into the uh, right and perfect channels.
2: It actually really did help a lot if I were maybe just a dog lover who wanted to write a book, I wouldn't have known how to get in there and start start getting the approval, start getting the red tape cut. And it really did help to have a good journalism background and to know... In having this journalism background, it, it really was um, a boon because I knew what I could and couldn't do, what I would and wouldn't do, and um, I protected some people. I knew I could do that, and not protected them from anything bad, but they want to say a few things off the record. You know that kind of stuff going into it, what you can and can't do, what you're willing to do, and what you want to, want to show. So it was, it was definitely a very important thing to have journalism background in this situation particularly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, in the book Soldier Dogs, you have uh, various what I call furry characters in here. Little mm-hmm. stories about each one of them. I know I'm going to put you on the spot. This I hate when people do this to me, so I love doing it to them. Uh, <laughs> can, can you pick out a favorite story that you have, or particular character yeah, that really that's just?
2: Okay, you? oh boy, uh, you're <laughs> one of my earlier radio interviews, so no one's gotten me on that one yet. But I have to say, oh, boy, there are so many great ones. But one really stands out is Lex. I don't know his last name, uh, like I call them last names because uh, all dogs have have tattoos um, in their ears with a number, a letter and, and numbers. and um, that's how they're identified. And I call them last names if you see a dog as a dog. As a soul, you will see. Um, you will call it the last name, probably. Otherwise, it's an identification number, like a VIN on a vehicle. And so, but Lex. There are many, many Lexes, but this Lex in particular was is is sorry. This incredibly gorgeous, big Belgian Malinois, who was in Afghanistan with with his handler uh, Marine uh, Mark Vierig, who's subsequently retired, actually. And he would uh, one of the, the many tales I tell of Lex in the book is how. He would go to. They were in Afghanistan in the rainy season, and they were digging foxholes and staying in different places every couple or three nights. And um, they would dig a foxhole in, and it was raining, pouring. And Mark would go into the fox. Sergeant Vary would go into the foxhole to sleep and put a tarp over it. And he had dug a little place for for Lex. And Lex would eventually go, in, and he would get him in there and keep, try to keep him dry and warm. And they kind of snuggle up together and go to sleep. But every time he would wake up because all this water would come in despite despite his best attempts to keep it out, and he would dig out the water. Lex wasn't there, and he would open the tarp and look up, and Lex was standing there, standing in the rain, in this beautiful position. I have actually a picture of this position in the book, um, just standing guard over his man, just his ears up his his tail up, he's just standing there all night. And Mark would say to him, Sergeant Very would say to him, you know, hey, come on dog, get back in here. And it would take a lot of convincing to get the dog back in. And he'd look you know, he'd wake up again, the dog would be out there just standing guard. And he wondered, do you you ever sleep dog? And, you know, he he just loved this dog for this incredible guarding of him. And you know, he had saved the dog too at one point. He he threw the dog into a half dug foxhole and covered him with his body. Um, at one point when there was some ammo going off at, toward them. And so it, it's a give and take. You know, you're, your dog is protecting you, you're protecting your dog, and you become almost one out there. You, you, these handlers are closer to their dogs than, than they are to, to a lot of people, even their spouses, as someone has said, because they just get to know each other so well, they're together 24-7. So anyway, that you will read uh, two or three stories about Lex in the book, and, and he's a pretty incredible dog, as are all of them in the book actually
1: yeah there's fantastic characters there. and it is amazing because you're, you're right it animals in our life are partners they are part of our family to begin with but this is a whole different scenario this is actually a true partnership where the uh... the animal the dog in this case uh, takes care of the soldier and vice versa
2: right and they say you know as much as you and i and all of the listeners love our dogs so much and we're so bonded with our dogs Those who have been deployed with their dogs and whose lives have been in the dog's nose and everyone has been dependent on this dog have said that there's no comparison. You can't even describe how close they feel to their dog. So I can imagine, but I, I really don't think I can go there as these guys can or guys and gals can because they've been out there with their lives, depending on their dog's nose, and again, spending all this time, 24-7, eating with them, sleeping. Sometimes they share sleeping bags or cots, and and even on bases, they often choose just to have the dog right there with them. And so they're there, and they just are there. And it's not just as a bomb sniffer or a protector, it's the dogs become this, ah, uh, you know this friend and and not just to them too some dogs really help the morale of everybody around them they're their shoulder to cry on they they seem to know when someone's having a bad day for instance, and uh, I've heard this time and time again. I've actually had it refuted by uh, a scientist who says, no, 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 it's, this is how it works, but, but these these people tell me this a lot, that someone's having a bad day and the dog knows, and they will go up to them and, and try to play with them, or, or you know, throw, they'll bring in them like an empty water bottle to play with, thinking that that will jolly them out of that, or whatever. And, or they'll just hang around the person more, so there's something that the dogs have that um, I explain in the book, I talk a lot about the dog's senses, too, and how they can out all these emotions, actually, perhaps, and, and what they're capable of doing. So anyway, it's a pretty incredible bond, and it goes even beyond the handler in many cases.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it, and you can't uh, narrow it down to just a scientific or even a training aspect because, uh, you know, the animals actually do bond with them. They understand them. They understand what to do and when to do it, and it, it becomes a, a, a long-term relationship.
2: Absolutely, and and unfortunately, it's not as long term as uh, you and I might have with our dogs. They they don't get to um, stay with the dogs for the, the career of the dog. Generally speaking, there are a certain type of job called um, specialized search dog, where a dog is with the handler for several years sometimes. But generally speaking, um, a year or two is is the limit, and the dog is the property of the base to which it's assigned he is assigned or she is assigned and then um the handler goes on to another dog if if the handler has to go somewhere first or the dog gets assigned another handler and it's really really hard for the handlers and and imagine the dogs too dogs dogs seem to be able to bond pretty well But some handlers are still broken up uh you know years later after losing that favorite dog of theirs to someone else or or something it's really really special
1: Absolutely. And then then to highlight on top of that, then what happens to the dog after that? Do they go on to a different uh, handler, different soldier, or are they um, placed elsewhere?
2: They can stay with the same one. It's just really logistically a nightmare to make that happen the way it is today. And so if the handler needs to go somewhere else, then the handler goes, or the dog needs to be deployed before the handler can, because right now there are limits, of course, on how frequently a handler can, or uh, a troop or marine or anyone can be deployed, but not dogs. Um, There's nothing on the books right now that says a dog needs to be here for seven months between deployments. Generally speaking, they really try not to have a dog deploy that much because it's not going to be good for the dog or the people following the dog. But, um, yeah, sometimes someone can get a dog a couple of times in a row, and, and some people have actually stayed so that they could get to be with the dog when the dog retires, and really try to retire with the dog and adopt the dog, which is wonderful. And sometimes a lot of a lot of former handlers try to adopt the same dog, and there's a little bit of uh, of sparring for the dog. And no, they they're not really officially part of the process, but they put in their adoption papers when the dog is ready for adoption and hope that they get the dog. And it's wonderful, even that the dogs can be adopted because it wasn't like that. Oh, I'm only. Twelve or thirteen years ago, uh, dogs who were not uh, well, dogs who were bite trained were not available for adoption. They Mm -hmm. they would be euthanized sometimes at the end of their careers. Wow! It's a much better world right now.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but I want to talk to you a little bit more about the book and uh, some of the fascinating stories in there. Then I want to hit you up on writing as well. So be prepared. I'm (laughs) going (laughs) to sounds good. So, we're going to take a, a quick commercial break. Uh, we'll continue our conversation with uh, Maria Goodavich uh, right after these messages from our sponsors. This is Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio.
0: Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to AudibleDeals.com. That's AudibleDeals.com.
1: Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure.
0: At PetSmart... We have the right food for your pet, at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetLifeRadio.com slash PetSmart and save up to 30% on toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetLifeRadio.com slash PetSmart today. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Vacs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to PetLifeRadio.com forward slash Dyson. PetLifeRadio.com forward slash Dyson. To order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On PetLife Radio. Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Pet
1: we Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. We're here with author Maria Goodovich talking to her about her new book, Soldier Dogs, The Untold Story of America's Canine Heroes. Now, one of the stories in here, Maria, that I thought was fascinating, I had no idea. You know, I I work with animals all the time, but I had really no idea this happened to canines. And talking a little bit about PTSD in canines, and you talked about a a story about a um, a dog named Buck who was suffering from canine PTSD. Tell us a little bit about that and how it impacts uh, the canines uh, just equally as it does uh, the soldiers.
2: Yeah, actually, um, it wasn't officially recognized by the Department of Defense until last January. Uh, January 2011, they had a blue ribbon panel meet and decided that, yes, this is indeed real, and we do need to be um, looking at the best treatment options and and what to do for these dogs. And they have very similar... um, symptoms, they call them signs in dogs and they're as with people so they may withdraw, they may have changes of behavior they may just have a very different personality than they did before more aggressive, more reclusive the the dog that I came across in, in the adoption kennels when I was at Lackland Air Force Base which is where these dogs go to, to be adopted at the end of their careers is, um, or some of them anyway, was a beautiful brown lab, he was curled up And in his kennel and just sort of staring out into nothing while all the dogs around him uh, of all breeds were barking and twirling and and getting attention and just being just really uh, outgoing, loud dogs. This dog was very different. And I stopped and I asked about him. And the guy taking me around the kennel said he probably heard one too many bombs when he was in Afghanistan. I never found out exactly what happened, and the people who ended up adopting him don't know what happened to him, but I did see some footage of him over there in Afghanistan, and he looked, he just looked scared of everything, and he may have been one of those dogs who just was too sensitive hearing-wise, and you know dogs hearing is so sensitive right. anyway right. and he it just was too much and he withdrew when the really sad story is when I'm in touch with his owners who are the best ever I mean I'll go live with them they're this wonderful <laughs> couple in Texas and he's a, a minister a preacher and they have an acre where he is at in. he can run around and but he is still he still shows uh, the signs of his PTSD where hes he's scared of people in general he's really scared he loves his new folks, but um, anyone else comes over and he gets really withdrawn and scared. If he's right under one of them in a chair or under a chair or something, he's okay, but he's just really skittish, and, and they wouldn't have sent him overseas um, and deployed him if he had been that way before, and they're trying to figure out what's going on with him and how to how to resolve that, and there are a lot of treatments that they're doing within the military to try to get the dogs back on track. Um, about 25% of the dogs can go back and go outside the wire again, and some of them can be used in other work. They can be retired and used as police dogs, for instance, where there aren't bombs and isn't the craziness of war, and about 25% just can't go back again. They're not going to function well in any kind of situation that's stressful, and that's Buck's case. And I'm really glad that they're finally addressing this because it's obviously been happening for a while, and um, they've been keeping track of it for a while, but now they're really going to be intensively doing more research on how to help these dogs, whether or not they retire them or keep them in. And maybe they're going to be getting some taking some lessons from what we've done for for the people who have PTSD as well. So, and they call it they like to differentiate by calling it K9 PTSD. So it doesn't really uh there are some differences and they don't want to make anybody upset who has the human version of PTSD. So I'm really glad to see that they're finally recognizing it and perhaps doing something about it. And I, my hat goes off to Buck and his people and I really hope that his world gets a little better. Soon, the sad story I was going to tell you just quickly was that they took him to Lackland and um, Lackland Air Force Base for a, mm. um, some medical work, a veterinary office, and everything was fine. He's walking in and he saw two soldiers in uniform coming out, and he just he just stopped. He lay down. And he wouldn't wow. look up. And he wouldn't move. And, and my guess was that you know I'm a little anthropomorphizing here, but I think that he thought that maybe he was this dream life of his was over, and he was going back to war or something because well, it was just such a different reaction.
1: Wow! Absolutely. Well, you know, I I absolutely believe that we had adopted uh, two purebred Schnauzers, and we'd rescue them from a uh, kill shelter a day before they were going to be euthanized. Well, we started peeling back the history of the animals. Best boys in the world. They're they're my my whole heart and soul. Uh huh. But the history behind it is this family. Every year would breed schnauzers, and they would sell them off and donate the money to the military, to the soldiers. A good thing that they were doing, I mean, very nice of them to do that, and they're very military-driven family. The caveat behind that is after about nine months, when the dog goes from being a puppy to being almost an adult, it uh, gets harder and harder to sell them. So at that point, they look to adopt them. If they can't, then they just take them to the local county shelter. Which is, a you know, a terrible thing because the county shelters obviously can only keep them for X number of time before they yeah. have to euthanize them. And our dogs, even to this day, whenever they see someone in a military attire, even if it's on TV because they can recognize what's going on on TV, <laughs> their attitude changes totally. Uh, they get a really? little bit more withdrawn. Exactly. And, oh. uh
2: fascinating it's just like this wow. yeah
1: absolutely so i i firmly believe that they recognize uh, more than we could ever imagine and uh, i think the uh the ways we go about treating our soldiers with ptsd we can learn a lot of that uh, from that uh, to help right. the uh, and help we the still have a lot
2: to learn about the the soldiers who have ptsd so maybe some of the work can rub off on each other
1: sure well, the book's fantastic. Obviously, uh, tell us after our wonderful listeners read the book, Soldier Dogs. Tell us what would be the one thing that you would like them to walk away with after reading uh, the book.
2: I think it would be the the fact that these dogs are not just equipment. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, the way that things are, they're considered equipment, not by the handlers and not by anyone who works with the dogs, but but the DoD, you know, kind of has it on the same plane as as Equipment and right now there is a, um, and it wasn't, it just happened, so I wasn't able to get it into the book, but there is a bill before Congress and the Senate that will give these dogs much better rights in a way. I don't want to say it's not really rights, but they'll, they'll have a better life um, if this bill passes. It's called the Canine Members of the Armed Forces Act. And I really urge people to contact their legislators and support it. And again, it's the Canine Members of the Armed Forces Act. And military working dogs will no longer be considered equipment if this law passes. And it would, be, um, it would improve the adoption process. Right now, the dogs retire overseas, not in a deployment situation, but in a place like Germany, mm-hmm. stay there in the kennels until someone here says, "Yeah, I'm going to adopt that dog and pay for that dog's transit back to the U.S." That's expensive. Now the dog will come back. Um, there will be if this passes, veterinary care for retired dogs. So. Some of these dogs have had some real physical problems, and and it's very grueling to do what they do day in, day out, and they require more care than than the average dog. So um, if you adopt one of these dogs and this passes, you will get help for the medical bills. And the other one is that they'll be awarded awards officially. Right now, when you hear about a dog getting a Purple Heart, or any kind of metal. It's just because some higher up has said, you know, this, yeah, let's let's make let's do this. This dog did this really great thing, but it's not officially sanctioned by the DOD. So, so this bill would really go a long way in helping the dogs, and that's something that I really put at the end of the book was there needs to be an improvement in some aspects of these dogs' lives. And it's yes, it has greatly improved since we were leaving them behind in Vietnam, but there's still some more that we can do, and we can all actually pitch in and do this. For these talks. so that's the take-home message for me at this point. With this bill pending in in the legislatures and the Senate, um, legislators, uh, you contact your legislators, and they will listen to you and pass this bill, hopefully. And it really is not supposed to cost the taxpayers anything at this point, so we'll see.
1: Absolutely. Is there a, a website or somewhere we can uh, direct our listeners to?
2: It's the Canine Members of the Armed Forces Act. And again, Canine Members of the Armed Forces Act. And I don't know of a website devoted to it right now, um, but you can Google it and there will be a lot. And on my, if you go to my soldierdogs.com page and, and you head to my Facebook page from there, I will be urging people to support it during the next however long it takes. So you will see it on there as well.
1: Absolutely. So everybody get behind that. Definitely. So I think it's a a great situation. We should be doing it. We should be dead a long time ago, but I'm glad it's finally being recognized. And it seems like we're turning the corner, just like we are with everything with animals. We're slowly as a society turning the corner to uh, doing the right thing by them.
2: Absolutely, Tim.
1: Yeah. Now, let me ask you a little bit about writing in general. You've obviously been a reporter we talked about. You write for dogstar.com. You've written several different uh, books. Tell us a little bit about the what you go through as far as the difference between writing a, an article or reporting on something or writing for uh, the uh, Dogster.com compared to putting together a uh, a book.
2: Uh, to, to keep my sanity, actually, when I put together a book, I like to look at it as a series of articles interwoven in such a way that it takes the reader through the book. Well, in a book like this, anyway. If it's if it's a guidebook or something, that's a different story. But for this book, for instance, I I wanted to uh, it would have been overwhelming in the amount of time i had to think of this huge project with these really long chapters and and i was starting out doing that. And I realized, no, you know, there's a way to break this down in my mind where I can tackle it sort of one article at a time and meld the articles together and the bits and pieces together and just take it slowly, take it one bit at a time and build up on that. And so I would, I would do that. And just, it was truly one step at a time. And for instance, I would tackle uh, the PTSD portion of it and I would weave in the medical, I would have some interviews with some people and then I would Go, I would say, oh, how does that fit in with where I met Buck? Because that was in a different, a different part of the book. How I, how he was going through these adoption kennels, and, and it would all just sort of the lines would start forming. You know, this is what connects, and and it all really worked. I didn't. I had a general format that I started with with a seven chapter book, and now, as you can see, I think it's fifty two chapters. <laughs> so uh, my editor and I worked on on once once I had done that, sort of pulling everything apart, and it stuck together really well. So I think just. Don't get overwhelmed with this huge task at hand. Take it one step at a time and and know what you're going to do every day. Know what you're going to accomplish that you have to get done and just do it no matter what it takes. And I, I was lucky enough where I was working in my dining room in my house in San Francisco because my husband has our home office right now and he needed to be in there. And so we had this little storage shed in the back that we had built 15 years ago, a mm-hmm. six by eight when I got the contract for the book, I said, okay, this is becoming my writing cottage. So I took all the storage stuff out, put it in the garage and had some windows put in. We painted it and it's my writing cottage now. And having a separate place to go either in your house or apartment or if you can do something like I did, it is just the best because you you just have to absolutely focus on what you are. And half the time I just, put my phone upstairs. I I have electricity in there now, but I would just leave everything upstairs so there would be no distractions. And in my deadline I had to do that. It was the only way to get it done. And I didn't know at times, since you know there are writers listening to this, I didn't really know if I could do it because there was an overwhelming amount of information and I had to be researching. I'm someone who likes to research and then write. Mm -hmm. I'm not someone, you know, who could just uh you know write as I go along. So I needed to have all the material in hand so I could really see where it would be best. And it was a lot. I had not so much time to do it, but uh, I believe that you try to do what you think is impossible, and you can do it if you really put your mind to it. So so it yeah, worked out really, really well, and I think it turned out really well.
1: Yeah, you sound like a lot like me. I, I tend to uh, – I will say I am a procrastinator at times, but when it's crunch time, it, it gets done, and I, I like to think it gets done well. <laughs> And I love the fact mm-hmm. that you have a writing cottage. Guys have a man cave. You have a writing cottage. I think it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, Maria, tell us where people can find out about uh, Soldier Dogs, a little bit more about you and some of the other things that you're doing.
2: Okay, yeah. Um, they can go to soldierdogs.com, plural, com and you'll find bonus photos that aren't in the book. And um, you can also find uh, some videos and and some resources that I really believe in there and information about the book, of course. And if you want to come check out Dogster.com, that's, it's a fun place, and we're just launching into a brand-new format with a beautiful magazine format, and it's going to be really beautiful. So that's Dogster.com. I write for them every day, sometimes twice a day. And, again, I'm the news editor there, so you can, you can find out lots of good dog news and dog goodies at Dogster.com. But, yeah, come visit at SoldierDogs.com. I have a little blog there on Military Dogs, and uh, come like my Facebook page. It's connected there, and you'll see it there. It's a Soldier Dogs' Facebook page.
1: Yeah, so definitely get a hold of a copy of this. Definitely keep track of what Maria is up to. Uh, we're excited about it. Congratulations on putting together such a fabulous book, and we look forward to hearing from you more uh, down
2: the road. Thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. Well,
1: we've been talking to uh, Maria Gudovic. About her latest book, "Soldier Dogs: The Untold Story of America's Canine Heroes." So, thanks to Maria again for attending the show. So, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making the show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, and to find out more about the blogs and all the other wonderful things that we have out there, you can visit PetLifeRadio.com. That's PetLifeRadio.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out all the other wonderful hosts and downloads and blogs that we have posted on there. You won't be sorry. It's uh, fabulous stuff, a lot of great shows out there. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at tim at petliferadio.com. That's tim at petliferadio.com. And I'll do my very best to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the authors you want to hear the most onto the show. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet life Radio.